Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and there's a bit of a dip in quality uh, in my my audio this episode, just because I'm in... uh, I'm house sitting for the week, so uh, I'm still getting the episode out as uh, as best I can. Uh, didn't get a whole lot watched this week, sadly. So what I am gonna cover is um, the the newest episode of Disney Gallery's The Mandalorian, as well as the latest Pat Oswalt comedy special for Netflix, which included a second special featuring uh, one of his inspirations, Bob Rubin, and then the first ever entry in Patreon Corner. Uh, featuring Mars, uh, my first ever patron's uh, suggestion for me to review The Fifth Element, which I hadn't seen in forever. And I I think it's another one of those things uh, that I saw by proxy, but I'll get into it. Um, And then we're going to talk about the big news that came out this past week, The Snyder Cut. So without further ado, let's get started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. So yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't get a whole lot watched this week. Uh, Between the house sitting as well as trying to work on some of my other projects, I'm trying to keep up with... um, uh, the new my the newly founded YouTube channel John of the Pokemaniac, uh, and I've been running into some technical difficulties on that end, but yeah I've been struggling to and plus I'm working on something special for next week the uh, 200th episode, but I'll I'll tell you about that um, <laughs> I'll tell you about that towards the end uh, if if I won't if not save it for, uh, for actually yeah let's save it for next week let's make it a surprise, um, but yeah I didn't get a whole lot watched this week. I did watch the latest episode of um, the Man- Disney Gallery's The Mandalorian. This one talked about the technology that went into making the movie. And something I didn't realize, because I'd never seen a lot of the um, behind-the-scenes making of uh, The Jungle Book or The Lion King, is that Jon Favreau has basically taken up the Lucas mantle of pushing the blue-screen technology forward. And the reason that Jungle Book and Lion King looked as good as they did in terms of photorealistic CG is that for Jungle Book, they used physical sets, all with, some of which had actual physical properties to them and were had props and uh, things like that. And some of which were all blue screen, but you could watch the the actual image that would be projected on the blue screen as it happened. And we'll get into that in a bit, but uh, for Lion King, when he was making that, because most of it was pretty much all digital, he ev- he was able to do that, use that technology plus VR headsets to view it in, a, in the digital space. So he was actually fi- direct, physically directing the camera in, in physical space to match it in virtual space. And it's really brilliant. It's kind of, it makes me like the new Lion King all that much more just because it's like, holy cow, like the, like John Favreau is a very, in terms of technical directing, like the dude is pushing all kinds of boundaries and I would love to see what he does with that kind of technology. I would love to see what anybody does with that kind of technology because as Mandalorian has shown, um, because that's just Favreau directing, uh, any of these directors could use that technology to make something phenomenal. And basically, on the set of The Mandalorian, a lot of it was physical, much like with the new Star Wars. They've gone back to physical sets, but a lot of it is also blue screen. Here's the difference. Unlike with the prequels, which you only saw the blue-green screen and you didn't get a chance to visualize what what's going to happen on screen, so you can't really react to it. Favreau has come up with a methodology to project the digital image on the background so the actors can react to the background that would be there in the digital space. And Carl Weathers and Gina Carano mentioned this specifically, as well as Giancarlo Esposito, how you, you feel like you're on a physical set, but the but all because all you see because you don't see the projected screens anymore you see the horizon in the distance 
and specifically for the scene in, in the end of the in the end of the series where they're going through like the stream of lava that was all digitally projected and both Carl Weathers and Gina Carano felt like they were physically moving because it was so realistic and that's how that's how far we've come in terms of the technology like the blue screen can be projected behind the actor so the actor feels like they're on a physical set not just uh you know trying to act like with tennis balls and all like so many problems that uh, the digital like lucas had this all the time was trying to direct actors in a digital space in a physical space but for a digital set and now we're at the point where act where the actors can see dig, can be pro, the digital set can be projected to the actors so they can react to what's happening and it's amazing and it's really something and Favreau is re Favreau along with and you think about it Lucas was kind of ahead of his time he was a bit too premature sadly he if he had the technology that Favreau has imagine how much better the prequels would look I mean, that's true with every technology. I mean, imagine how much better Kong... Yeah, that's why every couple of decades we have a Kong remake because the technology improves that much more. So we want to take these creatures that have all been... went from, like, suits to claymation to whatever the technology was at the time and showcase what they can do now with digital uh, creations. And it's, ama and it's amazing. So, yeah, like, I would highly recommend... This whole series has been great, I highly recommend this one because it gives you an insight into just how far technology has leapt forward that Disney and uh, Lucasfilm are able to do all of these things with digital sets, but in a physical space, and it's and it's amazing. And yeah, and then the one thing he mentions, uh, Favreau, is that the key is the lighting. And for the longest time, when it comes to digital creations, is there's no physical... The light would always look wrong. And and whenever you try to artificially add light that wasn't there, it always looks bad because our brains can notice that. And that's why he used so many physical sets for Jungle Book because he wanted that physical light to shine on the main actor, the little boy actor so that it would look real and that's how it looked as good as it did was that the digital like it's mostly physical lights with some of the digital ones there uh for the sets for the for the set pieces but it, for the most part you're watching physical light hit a physical person and certain physical sets so it's not all so you see the actual shadows as they would be and it's all and it all looks realistic and it doesn't look like you're trying to add it in post and he even mentions that he starts the episode with the adage that oh we'll just fix it in post it, it yeah some you you can do that but it's better to do it right and make it look good before post so that the post makes it look better but yeah uh it's it really is a phenomenal episode i've been loving this uh disney gallery series and i hope they do stuff for like other um, productions as well. Uh, but the only other thing I was able to... This, the problem uh, I've been having is, for the better part of the week, I haven't been able to watch Netflix. Uh, because the because whenever I would try to watch Netflix, the video quality would be all pixelated and terrible, like almost 240p, if not lower. And it, it looks absolutely terrible. Meanwhile, Hulu and YouTube and Disney Plus are all looking high-quality video. And, this Net and Netflix, for some reason, for the better part of the week, looked like garbage. And so I couldn't watch anything on it. And, like, I've been wanting... Like, I wanted to check out Lovebirds. That came out this past weekend. I wanted to check out um, Patton Special. And it took me forever because every time I tried to watch Netflix, it looked like garbage. And I didn't know what was wrong. So I finally figured out that I had to restart my Roku in order to get uh, the video to be fixed. So I finally watched uh, Patton's special. I love Patton. Uh, I, he's, a, he's a lot chiller now, which makes sense because he's 50. So he's, a lot, he's, he's still got some of that great delivery of his, his iconic level of delivery where it's like, but 
you know, da 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 da. And you know, he, he, you know, how, if you're a fan of Patton, you know how his delivery goes. He's still got that, but he's a lot chilled, more chilled out because he's a dad now, and he's been remarried, and he's he's dealing with more mundane things, and that's the special kind of. Uh, exemplifies that. It's not all about nerd culture or anything like that. It's more just about him reflecting on everything that's been going on in his life. Um, one of my favorite bits is the one where he talks about the subcontractors and apparently while he's been he, he while he's been having people fix his um, uh, his family's new place uh, they've got a subcontract they had a subcontractor who would just yell at some guy named Kirby and when Pat was like, "Are you Kirby?" One of the one of the, one of the other guys there, he's like, "Are you Kirby?" And he's like, "There is no Kirby." He just yells at this guy named Kirby, and it's a great bit, uh, probably the best bit of the special. Um, that and the Denny's bit that he closes with uh, is really good. Um, but yeah, like, and one of the interesting things that he brings up is that there is no real point to Trump jokes, like. I mean, when Trump was first elected, a lot of comedians would uh, comment on how people would say, oh, Trump's, Trump's the president now. Imagine all the material you'll get. <laughs> but what, four years of the Trump administration has basically made even basic political satire just in, 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 uh, archaic. Like, the entire Trump administration has rendered the onion to be powerless against that because no matter what headline the onion could come up with couldn't compare to the madness that has been the last four years of the trump presidency and so all Patton really says is that no matter where people's sides have already been decided that you're not going to say anything about trump and make a joke about trump that's going to make people really think anymore you're just playing to a side now and there's no real point in that anymore. There's no point in that kind of comedy. And yeah, that it's why that's why Trump jokes have been so they haven't been like whereas jokes against previous presidents you could make and make and because I also watched um uh, Weisscrack did a great video about uh, comedy journalism uh, 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 you know comedy news. And how good com good comedy comes from a place where you're making people question themselves, like in terms of like political comedy and uh, social commentary, comedy about social commentaries, and when you make people question themselves and their beliefs, and you push against that, that's when you get really great comedy. You make people rethink their own their own thoughts and beliefs because you're poking holes in their belief set and you're making them rethink themselves that's really push that's real that's what really great political comedy can do but so often especially nowadays with shows like full frontal and the current iteration of the daily show it is more um it is more just playing to the audience it is uh he called it something he called it something uh clapter i think he called it in the video where it is simply playing to the crowd. It's playing to the crowd, you know? It's like preaching to the choir. It's like, we say we make this joke because we already know you'll agree with it. Whereas the great thing about Jon Stewart was, even in the even in the midst of the Obama administration, I think he, he was still, yeah, he must have been still hosting during the Obama administration. He never shied away from critiquing Obama's presidency because a good comedian and a good journalist, more, more so, is willing to dig past the veneer of party lines and you know tribal camps that we put ourselves in to seek the seek the deeper truth. So I've got kind of spun off from that, but that, that kind of ties back into what Patton was joke was mentioning in his special: the fact that there isn't really anything to say about Trump that hasn't that you. I mean, he he's been a punchline since before The Apprentice. And now he's the president of the United States, and there it and basically what nobody saw coming was basic was the fact that basic political satire is dead in the in the Trump presidency because there is no joke that you can make that will top what he does in reality, what he does and what he says. It, it there is no there is no answer to that in political satire form because there is no because there is no level 
to push against. There is no barrier to push against, whereas with previous presidents, you were always able to push against something. With Trump, there is no barrier to push against. It's all chaos. Anyway, uh, yeah, Patton Oswalt's new special is great, but it also features a second special featuring a comedian I'd never heard of, but apparently, uh, and Patton meant, uh, intros it, at the end of his special, saying, "Hey, look, my buddy Dave, my buddy Bob Roop, Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin's a, a piece of garbage a podcaster. You should you there you should have no reason to listen to. But uh, Bob Rubin is apparently a comedian who's been going back to the '80s and uh, has had a he's one of those kind of comics that's like majorly influential to the to the to people's." style of humor and to people's jokes and to people's deliveries but he never really got a lot of fame he's you know he's one of those kind of i forgot like the velvet underground was for rock and roll i think is, is the equivalent where it's just like you were inspirational to so many people but you yourself never received that level of fame but uh his special is it's something uh it's bob rubin's oddities and rarities it's manic stream of consciousness it's like the and it feels like the ravings of a madman. Like it feels like the homeless person on the bus is, is, is screaming at you. Just these this random stream of consciousness thoughts that pop into his head, unfiltered. And I can never tell, uh, watching the entire special, if he was being serious or if he was a if, if it was a bit. Like, is he genuinely this crazy, or is it the is it like this Kaufman esque bit? Because either way, it's it's insane. And yeah, he has great play on word plays on words, and he's really well thought out. It's almost like really well. That's why it makes it makes me think he's it's Kaufman style, Andy Kaufman style, like planned madness because it's too perfect to be just stream of consciousness crazy it has to have been planned out the way it is it you know it's planned insanity it, it really is something to behold I, I you have to check it out for yourself i don't know if you'll like it or not but just do yourself i cannot do it justice go check it out yourself so yeah that's all i really watched this week um for myself and uh now uh we're gonna take uh take a step over to patreon corner And now, a stopover on Patreon Corner. I finally get to use this bumper. Uh, I, I don't know if I did it before, but uh, yeah, this is the first time I actually get to use the bumper for it. So yeah, I mentioned before I got my first ever patron, uh, Mar, who's a buddy of mine from way back in the day. Uh, they suggested to me to watch their favorite movie, The Fifth Element. And I mentioned in the intro that The Fifth Element was one of these kinds of movies that I think I only saw by proxy. It's basically like the bits where the diva is singing and, you know, Chris Tucker's character is being crazy. And then The Fifth Element was love. And I saw, you know, Gary Oldman's crazy outfit. It's one of those things where I feel like I had seen it because everybody was referencing it more than I had actually sat down and seen it. But I had, had I have to have, I saw, there's a bunch of stuff that I had to have seen that I remember seeing, so I had to have seen it at some point. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, if I'm not mistaken, it is, I feel like it was written either by Luc Besson when he was 13, or it was written by a 13 year old or something. Uh, based on. Besson started writing the story when he was 16 years old, and he was 38 by the time it opened in cinemas. So yeah, this was something he had been writing until uh, he finally got was able to bring it to the screen. And a bunch of it does feel like it's a kid's, you know, it's a teen, you know, it's at least like a, you know, it has that kind of younger mindset to it. So it's a bit manic, and I'll give it, I'll give it this much, like the, there's nothing else quite like it. They're really, like, Bassant really just struck, um, you know, caught lightning in a bottle with this. Because there just is not going to be anything else quite like Fifth Element. Like, things like Jupiter Ascending try to be it to an extent. but they're re and, and, of course, um, I think Bassant tried to do uh, Valerian as well, which seemed like it wanted to be uh, this kind of thing. But... Yeah, there really is nothing else quite like this movie, and there it's a, like it's a it's a perfect 
time for that movie to happen. The madness of the 90s. And there was, you were never going to have anything quite like it ever again. It's it's kind of like a uh, unicorn in that in that regard. But yeah, um, I gotta say, uh, I think my biggest problem is that it's tone is, is it's so tonally inconsistent. It has a weird mix of Looney Tunes style childish humor, but with a very well crafted serious adult story. And it never quite, and it's like you can never quite tell if they're trying to be serious or silly, depending on the scene. Like the scene will start, you're never quite sure how serious they're going to take it. And I think it's bad. And I think that's the problem is that it's not coherent enough to be great. I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's an amazing you know feat uh, that he even got it done in the first place. But I think my problem is that it's he that. A, better filmmaker could have made all of this work without it feeling like two different movies occupying the same space and time. Yeah, the premise basically is your standard high fantasy sort of thing, but in a, in a sci-fi realm, the idea being that there are the four, the four elements of reality, very arcane, uh, earth, water, air, and uh, fire, and then there's the mythical fifth element, but I mean, most cultures with that kind of um, with that kind of mythology have always had multiple elements beyond that. Things like uh, lightning and wood and whatever, what have you. So I mean, th but yeah, the basic idea is that the arcane four elements are now have have you know are now are part of this super weapon that's supposed to protect against this. Um, this indescribable dark essence that's that uh, is threatening to destroy the world, um, Earth mainly Earth, but I'm guessing like the universe at large, and then Earth is like its first target or something. I'm not sure, but um, once again, like a better storyteller would have been able to craft all of this backstory and make it make it more coherent. Um, but it, but the yeah, they have to. There's a there's some weird intro where like these Doctor Who uh, aliens show up in ancient Egypt uh, and have to and the, we get a backstory for like the, this is a super weapon based on Earth and they need the four stones but the stones aren't safe there so they have to take them to take them to space and then they'll bring them back and then uh, we cut to 300 years in the future and it's in the 24th century now and we have a then we have Bruce Willis. As basically John McClane, uh, but driving a cab in, fu in the future. He is very much like playing off the John McClane thing still in the late 90s. But this is just before he actively gave up trying. Uh, and not give, and decided to just not give any performances anymore. And this is the la I think one of the last times he actively, actively tried. But um, yeah, it's it really is an interesting thing to watch. Because this is also interesting. This is before Mila Jovovich started making uh, so many garbage movies with her husband that she was actually a really good actress. Not like not like in terms of Oscar dramatic delivery, but like in terms of... like She could have easily been a much better action hero. Instead, she got saddled with garbage, garbage movie after garbage movie that she basically only made because her husband was making them. And it feels like that watered down what made her interesting. And I feel like she, she could have easily, and I don't know, I don't know if she could, but like, one of the interesting things that I liked was um, her babbling. She, had, she was speaking this fictitious language, uh, and it made me think of this show I was in uh, when I was in college called The Foreigner, where um, the basic premise is that um, this, guy, this guy came out of a bad relationship, and his, uh, his British Army buddy is taking him to the deep south to kind of get away from it all by taking him to a friend's place. But the way um, that the, the conceit is the guy doesn't speak English. He's a, he is a foreigner. And so the most of the play has to do with uh, the main character kind of not speaking English at first, giving like babbling, you know, bab you know, speaking in like gibberish language that features uh, multitudinous kind of um, uh, mishmashes of of all kinds of spoken languages, French, German, Spanish, uh, Japanese, I think at one point. Uh, 
And as the story goes on, uh, somebody, uh, one of the characters, turns out to be a member of the KK, local KKK, finds out that there's a, you know an immigrant there, a foreigner, and they drum up and they decide to they decide you know to scare them off because they don't you know they don't take highly to those folks, and it culminates in this massive you know like uh, demonstration by the character. To showcase, like, not only, you know, not he is that he's this somehow powerful, like, almost wizard or something to scare off the uh, KKK. So it's, 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 a, I mean, it's an interesting story, and I love the play. Uh, if, you, if you get a chance to go to watch the play perform somewhere in, like, a local theater troupe, I highly recommend it. Um, it's something I would love to see as a movie because I think it would be so perfect. And sadly, the name has been taken by that really stupid Jackie Chan movie, uh, which was which in the rest of the world and based on the and was based on the book called The Chinaman. Sure, thanks for that, Hollywood. Uh, but yeah, um, Mila Jovovich reminds me of that kind of level of performance as Lilu in this movie, and it's real. Once again, she had so much better potential and i feel like she just got saddled in with this garbage that paul w paul w sanderson made and they just kept doing it because oh they're husband and wife and they love each other and they were co you know he keeps making movies so she can be in them and she keeps being in movies because he keeps making them and they're all sucked yeah it's it it, it was slow slow return you know diminishing returns on investments and they've all, both of their careers never really got any better. Anyway, um, yeah, I think the other, once again, like the other problem is that some of the actors are really hamming it. Like Gary Oldman, freaking Gary Oldman is just chewing the scenery like he's like he's a beaver going through the woods building his dam. And sometimes it's more, more trying to be more serious. So like you can never quite the tone is so inconsistent that you can never quite tell if it's trying to be serious or if it just wants to be goofy, silly like a cartoon. And I think if Basson you know, picked whether or not he wanted it to be like a kid's cartoon kind of movie, like a live action cartoon, or whether he wanted it to be more of the serious, not, not totally serious, but like, well, you know, like takes itself seriously sci-fi movie, then it ne he needed to decide which of those he wanted. And the fact that he tries to make it both is, makes it, means it doesn't work. Um, I compare this to um, things like Douglas Adams, where the stuff is silly, but the but the but the pro, but the universe itself takes everything seriously. So what you're seeing is silly and you know and you know comedic, but the universe is not saying this is a joke. The universe is saying this is this is reality, and I think that's the problem with this is that. Part of it is trying to be goofy, silly Looney Tunes uh, antics, and with complete with sound effect, goofy sound effects, and then the rest of it is trying to be a more serious sci-fi movie. And I think if he had picked which one he wanted, it would have been much more coherent and ultimately a better movie, for better or worse. Uh, I also do like the fact that it's a multicultural cast of all you know all kinds of races. Of humans being in there, and so it's not, it does not, you know, it's not like a totally whitewashed future. It's, you've got people of all different cultures and backgrounds. The president is black, uh, which seemed to be a big thing in the 90s. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a solid, it's a solid, it holds up for the most part. Because, uh, once again, the effects are, are pretty good for the most part. CG can be hit or miss. Like, the 3D print, it predicted 3D printing. Which is interesting, or unless somebody, unless Star Trek did it first. But yeah, this was like the clone is being somebody was cloned by three D printing, which is interesting. Um, I did think I do. I'm sad Opera Techno never kicked off because that was a really cool bit from this movie. In fact, that fight scene with Lilu set against the diva singing, and once the uh, beat drops, it's really it, it, it's probably the best scene in the entire movie. And yeah, I think the biggest problem I have outside of the tonal inconsistency 
is that it, it does feel kind of weird that the villains take each other out and that the heroes don't really do... Oh, the only thing the heroes do is escape. So it's like this... I, I guess it's trying to comment on the mutually assured destruction of human... Um, you know, the, the, the depravity of human um, nature and the fact that, you know, the, the, the human... There's such hate... Within not only humanity but just within people within people as, as a whole, that that mutually assured destruction. Unless that was the point, I kind of feel like it would have been better to have the heroes actively take out the villains, not to have the villains take out each other. I don't know, but it's 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 not terrible. It's not a terrible decision. I just feel like it's not very well executed. Um, the final scene is uh, the fun. You know, the big climax is. It's kind of interesting the fact that. They have to imbue the stones with their element, and then they, it is at that point that they realize that the fifth element was the friends we made along the way. Also, the fact that Lilu and... Um, maybe it's because Le because uh, Bruce Willis is not that great of a romance actor, but I never really got the fact that... He, all I got from him was just, like, he thought Lilu was hot. I never got the fact that he really... there wasn't They didn't really establish that he loved Lilu any more than he thought she was hot. And I think that was kind of, I think if the whole gambit is that the fifth element was love, then maybe have more scenes of them actively commit, you know, forming an, uh, an, an active, like loving relationship. I don't know. Uh, but once again, this is uh, in a, tw a 22 year project that Luc Besson started when he was a teenager so yeah um it's it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna have a bunch of problems with it I mean imagine making anything you made when you were like a kid trying to make it I, when I was a kid I tried to I thought that a Calvin and Hobbes movie where Hobbes was part of a doo-wop uh acapella group was a good idea try to make anything you Unless you're like a wunderkind, most of the stuff you make when you're a kid and a, and a teenager is gonna suck. Most of it is. So yeah, um, I gotta say for this first entry in the Patreon corner, we got a good one. Uh, I did not hate the Fifth Element. Uh, I have some like I have issues with it. I don't love it. It's not gonna be my favorite movie, but I don't hate watching it either. It's a it's a solid. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of a kind thing. It's, there's never going to be anything else quite like it. And as much as I would say I would do this and this and this to fix it, would that make it any better than what it is? Or is it just better to accept it flaws and all, you know? Sometimes it's better to accept things for their flaws and just enjoy the ride. And yeah, that's why so many people enjoy The Fifth Element, I think, because they accept it flaws and all. So yeah, it, it Fifth Element, uh, if you haven't yet... Um, if you haven't uh, in a while, maybe check it out again. Uh, I, I had fun. Uh, next Patreon corner is going to be The Dark Crystal, where I'll watch both the movie and the Netflix prequel series. So stay tuned for that next week. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that dreaded Snyder Cut. Hey, do you like Pokemon? Yeah! Do you like Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah! Well, what if I told you, you could have them both together! That sounds, uh, a copyright infringement. Don't mention that. I mean, um, yeah. Then check out Dungeons & Dragon Types, the D&D 5th Edition Actual Play Podcast, where the players are Pokémon trainers, and all the battles are between Pokémon. There will be evil organizations to fight, Pokémon gyms, Contests, all in a whole new fan-made region. Don't miss out on the fun. Listen to Dungeons & Dragon Types, available only on Gumby Cat Networks. managed to avoid talking about it for this long and sadly we are at the point now where I can't avoid it anymore. This past week HBO Max announced that they would host the legendary Snyder Cut 
of Justice League. For those who have managed to stay out of the loop for this one, uh, the week before, well, it goes back to um, Zack Snyder, who is a terrible filmmaker who is weirdly in, we, he's weirdly into uh, Randy and objectivist philosophy to a very, very detrimental degree in terms of his filmmaking that really showcases in his work. But um, he he became the sort of front runner to, um, well, not front runner, the showrunner essentially for the DC Extended Universe, DC cinematic uh, equivalent to the, you know, DC's, DC's equivalent to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But unlike, but he was, the thing is, people, Treated, especially his fans, who have a, he has a rabidly devoted fan base. In fact, I would not be surprised if me speaking ill of him and of his work gets some. If it manages to get to them, then I'm sure I'm gonna get you know, like you know, <laughs> just harassed to death. Although I may not be because I'm not a chick and uh, or a minority, so they they may not get they may not they may leave me alone. <laughs> You know, they're that they're that a lot of them are that kind of crowd but suffice to say that um yeah Zack Snyder is was perceived to be kind of like the Kevin Feige for for um DC's movies but he there he wasn't there wasn't a Kevin Feige equivalent at Warner Brothers and I think that's the problem is that they didn't have a Kevin Feige who who steered the ship you know like that way saying that, saying Zack Snyder is the equivalent of Kevin Feige is like saying that the Russo brothers are in charge of the entire MCU. You know, the Russo brothers led, you know, stu- you know, were cap- captains of certain uh, franchises, but the Admiral was always Feige. There wasn't an equivalent to Feige at DC, but uh, because he led off with Man of Steel and um, Batman v Superman. Uh, Man of Steel being honestly better than Batman v Superman, but both of them being some of my least favorite superhero movies, honestly. Um, they, people perceived him to be the kind of hell, be at the helm of the DC Cinematic Universe. And so while, while Justice League was being made, um, tragically his daughter passed away and um, he had to step back to be with his family and you know to mourn and to be there for his family and the, and, and you know in their time of loss and when he stepped and Warner Brothers decided to bring in Joss Whedon to kind of you know helm helm the movie to the end and the week before um, I mean after it was announced that he was stepping away a lot of his once again weirdly rapidly devoted fan base were outraged that Whedon was taking over and that we were losing the the vision of Zack's, the unadulterated vision of Zack Snyder. And so a week before the movie actually came out, somebody started a change.org petition to get, to have Warner Brothers quote-unquote hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Believing there to be, because there was, you know, when Whedon came aboard, there were there were reshoots, and everyone, Snyder's just a rabid, rabid fan base was convinced that there was a better cut of the of Justice League out there that was Snyder's unadulterated, you know, brilliance, and. So after the movie came out, it, it you know bombed with critics. It did not meet it meet their expectations. It just it performed well, but better than you know it performed better than a lot you know as well as most superhero movies do. But because they spent so much on marketing and reshoots and all these other things, and, and it all it did not it it ultimately underperformed. And thankfully, DC is a, is stepping away from Snyder's. You know, edge lord, douchey, thirteen-year-old vision of superheroes, and since then, the 
the movement hashtag release, the Snyder Cut, has been haranguing Warner Brothers to give them what they want. And they have and they were not helped by Snyder playing into that movement saying that yeah Warner Brothers you should totally release my cut of the movie a cut of which did not physically exist it is not something that they could actively release to cinemas because it did not exist because it was not done Snyder would have to go back and actively finish the movie in order for the cut to exist. This isn't like freaking Glover 2, where it actually exists and was never released. Or, um, there's something else movie-related that's like that, but the basic idea being that it's done, but never saw the light of day. No, it's not done. It hasn't been finished. It's, it, 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 it does not exist. The Snyder Cut... It, as of right now, even, is no different than that Napoleon movie that Kubrick was making. Or, uh, I think... Oh, what was this? What was that stupid, like, really terrible Jerry Lewis movie? Um, let me see. Uh, what was the... What was the name of that movie? Here, let me pull up the his filmography, because there basically there is a notorious um, movie that was never to see the light of day, by directed by um, Jerry Lewis. Ah, uh, God, what was it? Uh, it's something about clowns or something. A uh, Jerry Lewis clown movie. The Day the Clown Cried. Um, wait. It's an, no, this isn't. Oh, uh, repeatedly insisted it would never be released. Donated the incomplete copy to the Library of Congress. So it's not to... And it is not to be screened prior to June 2024. So it's an incomplete film that Jerry Lewis... Uh, made in the 70s and never actively finished and then has since been unseen by um, by uh, by audiences and until his uh, until uh, 2024 is when we're allowed to see the move the essentially unfinished movie and that's pretty much um and for those who don't know, The Day the Clown Cried is about a circus clown held in a concentration camp uh, under Nazi Germany. So, yeah, that's the kind of... Uh, he Lewis is trying to play up the darkness of the Holocaust and, play, and make a comedy, dark comedy out of it. And uh, it apparently was terrible... But uh, there is one, there is no complete negative of the film, so it's an unfinished movie. What was uh, was it Waterloo? Uh, that was the Kubrick movie. Let me see. Because um, I think there was another. Here we go. Um, Napoleon. Uh, following 2001, Space Odyssey, Kubrick originally planned to make a film about the life of French Emperor Napoleon, and he draft. The other one is um, uh, Terry, not Terry, uh, Terry, Terry Gilliam, yeah, Terry Gilliam's uh, um, one about his adaptation of Don Quixote, which um, eventually did get made, but apparently was really was. Never got really, uh, never got a wide release, and I think it's buried on Amazon. But yeah, um, I'm br I bring this up because this is essentially what the Snyder Cut is—an unfinished, you know, rumored, partially existing movie that somehow exists in the ether, but fans are convinced is real and can be just dropped, like it, like you know, dropped, it dropped in their laps. No, it wasn't, it didn't exist. The Snyder Cut did not exist because there is no Snyder Cut because it's not done yet.
dumbasses. But um, that isn't to say that the whole movement is garbage, because there is a segment of his fans that did raise money for um, suicide prevention, and I'm assuming because, and I think that's because his daughter committed suicide. And the fact that they did raise money for that cause is good. But, however, I think that blinds people to the fact that this was essentially a new facet of Gamergate. So, you had people like Gal Gadot, like Ben Affleck, like um, Damon Lindelof, all chiming in on how great the release of Snyder Cut people are. But the movement itself targeted so many you know, film critics and people and, and people on Twitter to just harass them incessantly. It was a very toxic movement that managed to do some good, some good. But that doesn't mean the movement itself was good or even necessary. Once again, this is because that's the thing. This isn't demanding the director's cut of Justice League, this is demanding specifically Zack Snyder's version of a film. A version which of which does not physically exist. And in fact, since the announcement has been made, they've been clear that they are no one's gonna see it until 2021 because they're still $20 million. They he still needs $20 million at least to finish it. Once again, this thing is not done. It does not yet exist. But the fans demanded it, apparently. Incessantly. Everywhere. Get, never shut up about it. And it was one of the most vitriolic circles of the internet. Especially, unless you were a diehard Zack Snyder DCEU fan, it was one of the most toxic circles of the internet. And the fact that it, Warner Brothers is placating them sets a really bad precedent, in my opinion. Because that's the thing. As While raising funds for suicide prevention is good, that doesn't negate the fact that they are a vitriolic and very, very hateful movement. A movement of which, to see a... For a movie! For a movie! Imagine if they organized this for, I don't know, Flint's Water. Or, um... Uh, you know, mass incarceration. You know, things that mattered. Like, I admit, I'm an, I talk about movies and entertainment for this podcast. I admit I'm not doing anything that serious. But to organize all of this over a goddamn movie that you can't even guarantee is good, all because your senpai made it. That's what this is. This is like idol worship of a guy who isn't a good filmmaker. He is not a good filmmaker. Like, I, I'm really digging... Like, apparently even... Apparently people are talking about how there's aspects... How bad freaking Dawn, the Dawn of the Dead remake he, he did had all of these terrible things going on with it. And I haven't. I never saw it. And I honestly have no real interest in seeing it. Um, but yeah, looking at his, uh, looking at his filmography, uh, aside from Dawn of the Dead, 300, based on a toxic comic, based on a toxic comic by a toxic filmmaker, and, and yeah, it's a, it's a terrible, it's honestly a terrible movie that I regret falling in love with in the, at the time, you know, in hindsight. Watchmen, only as, only as, only... So only as good as Alan Moore made it to be, but with this, it's a soulless recreation of the Alan Moore comic. It kind of misses the point. I think his best movie is literally Legend of the Guardians: Owls of Gahul, and I haven't watched that in forever. Sucker Punch, garbage. Man of Steel, uh, had potential but su ultimately sucked. Batman v Superman, garbage. Uh, Justice League, not great. Uh, and then he is still slated to. Um, to make the Fountainhead, at least according to IMDb, which brings me to another interesting case. Um, another interesting thing. I believe it was Leon over uh, at Renegade Cut tweeted this out a while back. But um, somebody tweeted out... 
that, in, in reference to the announcement, that Zack Snyder left Justice League, and no sooner had he left Justice League than he announced that he wanted to make an adaptation of The Fountainhead. For those who don't know, The Fountainhead is another of Ayn Rand's books. The, first, the main, Her main one being Atlas Shrugged, uh, but Fountainhead being another one of the, her objectivist, you know, bullshit libertarian fantasy stories. And The Fountainhead specifically deals with an engineer, or an architect, I believe, who is so much of a perfectionist and hates, have, ha- hates compromising his vision to such a degree that he actively destroys any project that does not meet his specifications. He is such a, he is such a, you know, he's that kind of douchebag, you know, who thinks he's God's gift to mankind. And so how dare you sully his vision, you know, and you wonder why libertarians are such pieces of shit because this is their philosophy. This is who dictated their philosophy. Uh, Anyway, Leon's tweet or whoever's tweet it was kind of mentioned the, you know, kind of brings that up. The idea that. Zack Snyder, who has stated his, how, you know, uh, who has, you know, has kind of been on record about how he kind of buys into this kind of philosophy, that he is leaving a project that, lo- that he lost control over and he had to compromise his vision by announcing an adaptation of a, of a book whose protagonist destroys anything that do- does you know, destroys any of his projects that are compromised from his from his perf- perfect vision. And th- this whole thing kind of, you know, it's kind of a perfect encapsulation of what the release the Snyder Cut movement ultimately was about. Placating this rabid fan base uh, who love the movies of this douchey, liber- uh, douchey Ayn Rand following nutcase. Uh, he's not even. He's like if Michael Bay discuss, if Michael Bay actually had an ethos, you know. Michael Bay is just pure id, for the most part, and Zack Snyder is if Michael Bay had more of an ethos, and that ethos is libertarianism. Yeah, Zack Snyder is libertarian. Michael Bay. I think that's a good. Um, that's a good breakdown for it. So yeah, it's. I have no. I'm. I'm sure I'm going to talk about it when it ultimately comes out next year. Because once again, it does not physically exist yet. Because of course it doesn't exist. Because it was a stupid fantasy made up by a rabid fan base. And unfortunately, their haranguing and their harassment campaign was eaten up by the people at Warner Brothers because they don't care how awful this fan base is. It's a fan base that is demanding a thing. So they'll give it to them because HBO Max has, hasn't gotten much else besides that. Like, how else can we get people to subscribe to HBO Max? Promise them the Snyder Cut. There you go. We don't have, a, I mean, aside from, like, new Looney Tunes shorts, uh, an Elmo late night show, and the back catalogs for the entire, for most of the Warner archive. I mean, that's pretty much all they got going for them right now. So, yeah. Promising the, it's like, you know, it's it is like kind of Disney promising, it's all you know the Mandalorian. You know, imagine Disney promised the original, um, uncut version of the of the original Star Wars trilogy in order to get people to subscribe to to Disney Plus. It was that's that's all this is to Warner Brothers. It's a hook. It's a hook for the suckers who bought into this campaign. And they don't care that it's a that it's about about the damage that this campaign has caused to people and the harassment that they've done. It just all they know is that there's people who who will who will get who want this thing. So if you promise it on this new budding platform for them, this new service, then maybe you get thing. You know, it's it's a carrot. It's a carrot for the Snyder fanboys to subscribe to HBO Max. That's all it is. That's the that's pretty much the only reason they did it. And unfortunately, big corporations are because they have no ethos of their own aside from making money, that then they're more willing to placate to really toxic fan bases. I see this on par 
with how Disney and Abrams undid Ryan Johnson's work in The Last Jedi through The Rise of Skywalker. And I say that because, once again, whether I don't care if you hated The Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker played into none of it. Rise of Skywalker tried to pretend The Last Jedi didn't even happen. It is so poorly executed. Because... So many hateful, angry fanboys, you know, harassed the filmmakers, harassed the actors, harassed one actress, harassed an actress so much she had to leave social media all over a goddamn movie. Once again, I have to say this, over a goddamn movie, you people need something more with your lives. There is not a singular movie in existence that I would fight this hard over. No matter how much I hated it. Like, that's the thing. My least, my, my least favorite movie, the movie I actively despise the most, is a movie by Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla. I don't actively troll them on Twitter. I don't harass their fans. I don't... I don't make it my life's mission to make to be a thorn in their side because ultimately it I mean that's a bit different because it's trying to that movie is pretending to be a documentary what it's just propaganda as opposed to let's let's go to my um let's go to my uh active um uh fictional releases the Goth Not Dead trilogy uh I'm not going around harassing David R. White, the folks at Pure Flix, Christian, other Christians. I hate that movie, and then I'm done. Like, I can hate on the movie all I want, but it has nothing to do with the people who like it or the people who made it. It does not ultimately matter to them, and it shouldn't, because I'm just one person, and I'm not making their lives miserable for making a thing that I didn't like. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, you could argue that those movies also have a bad um, messages behind them, and could be de it could be detrimental to people's well, you know, mental health and well being, or uh, or to you know, to their livelihoods, or however you want to you know make mark you know argue that because they are Christian propaganda movies. That said, I'm not going around harassing people over things I don't like. You know what I do? When you know what happens when I come across things that I don't like. I, I, I go away from the things that I don't like so that I can talk about the things that I do like or can sh commiserate in my not liking of things with other people that also do not like those things. I do not go around... A perfect example. Um, just today, uh, as of recording this, um, I, 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 every so often I try to follow uh, certain people on Twitter. One of them is... Uh, Tony Goldmark, uh, some jerk with a camera, formerly of Channel Awesome. But every time I try to follow him on Twitter, he'll say some, some, something that'll just be like, I can't, I have to walk, I have to, I, I can't, I'm out, I'm out. But at no point when I see that, do I ever go after him for saying the thing. I could, because he, that he's, he's a guy who can go all night with, with assholes on Twitter and rather than waste my time being like, hey, your th that thing you said was stupid, uh, da, 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 you know, go after him on that. Why would I waste either of our times when I could just go you know, move on with my day? We have so many precious seconds on this, on this earth. Why waste them being an asshole to people? So yeah, I'm an asshole about movies and, uh, and you know, so I'll, I have no problem tearing apart things that I don't like. Or, you know, being critical of things, whether I like them or not. But I'm not going to go after people. It's not my life's mission to harass people. And the fact that there is a subset of people, especially on social media, that has been elevated. Because there's always been. That's the thing. These assholes have always been there. And social media has just given them a megaphone. Because if you, if you go through, if you follow the dollop, you'll see that throughout history there's always been these assholes these assholes have always been there social media has just given them a megaphone so keep that in mind 
yeah, it's kind of got away from me. But yeah, I just, I think Warner Brothers is making a mistake, and it's only done for their own greedy purposes. It's their own, their own greed has led them to fund a terrible, terrible decision to placate a rabid, vitriolic fan base for the sole goal of profit. And this is why corporations are not people, because most people at least have an ethos. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that's that's all I gotta say about the Snyder Cut at this point. Until the actual damn thing comes out, I, I, I it's it's not it's it's nothing it's nothing to me. It does not exist. It is a it is a unicorn. It is Bigfoot. It is a fairy tale that that angry nerdy douchebags on the internet tell themselves. And and giving it to them is not all that's gonna do is further the fervor. That these assholes have. So the douchebags that hated the Last Jedi and the douchebags that demanded the Snyder Cut, all they know, they know that corporations will give in to them if it means that they, if they think you can make a profit off of them, and that's what happens when you have capitalism without any, without any ethic. That's what happens when you have pure, unadulterated capitalism. You you need an ethos. Companies need some kind of an ethos, otherwise they are pointless. Anyway, well, I mean, they also need a good ethos. Like, having an ethos doesn't mean anything if your ethos is, like, Pure Flakes making absolute garbage to, prop, you know, propagate your own terrible ideas. Anyway, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm done talking about the Snyder Cut, and I'm sure, I'm sure if people actually gave it, actually listened to this thing, my um, email inbox and my social media would be ravaged by these douchebags, but... That's what the block button is for, because once again, I don't have time to deal with douchebags. But life is too precious. Don't waste it dealing with assholes if you if you can if you can manage. And well, so yeah, uh, that about does it for this week's episode. Which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep updated on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. While you're at GumbyCatNetworks, check out all of our other fine programming. You've, we've got Dungeons and Dragon types, uh, Living in the Stacks. I am trying to work on some episodes, and I'm going to talk to my other co-hosts to see if they've been able to finish any reading and would, would be willing to record a quick uh, snippet for the microfiches as they were. But uh, I'm tr- we're, tr- we're going to try and keep that alive as our, as as we the hosts deal with gestures at everything. Um, but also check out Donna's stuff over the Snarkast. Uh, Once more with feeling beyond the cabin in the woods, the family business. And if you're a self-aware podcaster and would like to join our fledgling little network, send us any inquiries to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, you can also check out this podcast on your various podcast providers: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartMedia. Uh, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, and um, if you know if you want to help out the show, leave a five star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also share us on your various social media. Uh, social media home for this is popcorn junk is facebook.com slash popcorn junkie, twitter.com uh, at corn junkie pod, letterboxed uh, that's letterboxd uh, dot com at corn junkie pod. That's um, that's kind of where I've been active and sharing my insights on stuff lately. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, but that's been mostly dead. I am gonna I, I keep pushing off uh, Stardust, but I am gonna try and get there. I think I'm gonna wait until after the 200th episode because there's a lot of stuff going into that one that I want to kind of hold off on. And then. Uh, I think that's about it on social media. And then if you want to be like Mar uh, and suggest stuff for me to review, uh, you can do so uh, over at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Leave as little as $1 a month uh, in my little uh, tin can for you, <laughs> asking, for, asking for money. And uh, you can suggest content and check out all of my previously existing co- uh, content, make a better movie, as well as Munchalongs. And if we can get enough people supporting the Patreon, we can try and bring those back. And I would love to watch movies at your suggestion. So if you want to suggest stuff for me to watch or just, you know, help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. All it costs is as little as $1 a month. And then, uh, 
I think that about does it. Uh, I ain't, uh, anything, you know, and of course you can always contact me at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That's it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and we're one week away from the 200th episode. I missed my, what is it, fourth year anniversary? I, I ended up missing that this year, so I'm not going to miss this one. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. <laughs>